Good evening once again to the Evening Tickler. It is, as always, time to stop your reading and reflecting and begin dining and discussing. The wait staff is here. The toast points have been loaded up with uh, woodcock innards chopped finely, something that only hunters can enjoy and appreciate. Bunyan Catamals played as our introduction for my lovely sister, Penny, that was playing when I went down to Sweetbriar at her graduation off of my motorcycle, which I drove down, showed up in Leathers. All of those girls at Sweetbriar thought I was the deal. But as we know, here it is many years later, and time is a cruel master. I have been gone for two weeks, and I came back to a pile of cards and letters, some of them... As you can imagine, kind, some of them not so kind. Um, many people thought I was sick and dead, uh, wishful thinking. I would like to read two of uh, the kind letters that came this way. Uh, bear with me. The first um, from a devoted fan. Uh, you've been gone for two weeks. I haven't been tempted to call the FCC. Thank you very much for the break. Uh, keep up the good work. Be silent. Sincerely. Um, on the other end of it, of this pile of letters, uh, dear Mr. Tickler, your show is always like a purring kitten on my naked lap. Uh, thank you for always being a perfect simile to me sincerely. Um, that kind of covers it. Uh, the people either love or hate this show, and I'm just so glad to be back in your ear. It's been a, two weeks where uh, my wife and I went down to the, the calm and graceful climbs of uh, South Carolina, distinctive state that really started America up in an amazing way. We ran the dogs on the beach, and we let them eat sand around dead jellyfish and watched them kind of poop bricks that had a little bit of jelly around them for two weeks until we sensed that they wanted to get back into eating frozen bark. And so we came back here, and that's what they're doing. They're eating frozen bark. Uh, so that's the update. We're, we're just pleased as punch to be with you on this auspicious evening uh, for many people you have forsaken a great American festival of uh, sport and entertainment and halftime to be with us and we thank you for that and we also thank you for um, maybe reading the introduction to my guest tonight who uh, is uh, without really needing to introduce him because many of you know him and he's introduced himself to you in intimate ways. Um, I would say this about uh, introducing our, our guest, that if uh, the Catskills is bread, he's the butter. Or maybe I've got it reversed. Maybe if Catskills is the butter, he's the bread. What, what would you prefer to be, Derek Curl, bread or butter? Butter. Yeah, butter. Now, would you prefer to be cultured butter or non-cultured butter? Uh, non-cultured butter, please. Uncultured. And would you prefer to be salted or non-salted? Salted, please. And would you prefer to be chilled or room temperature? Uh, room temperature, always. And would you prefer to be domestic or local? 
uh, local police. Well, so now you know everything <laughs> you need to know about this man. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's quite apparent that he's eaten a lot of butter and he knows what he wants. Warm butter. salted butter. <laughs> <laughs> Derek, it's so good to see you. It's been um, at more than two weeks. Yeah, well, Reverend Burnett, it's good to see you, brother. Yeah, baby. Um, Derek and I have a long history, and um, it started at the show here several years ago when he was sort of uh, giving himself permission to take his gears out of the transmission and just think about what he wanted to do with his life. And uh, as you all know, he thought about it, and then he really messed it up. (laughs) 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 And that's why we love him so much, because Mm -hmm. uh, when when some men feel fear to walk into taking a big swing at big ideas, Derek steps up to the plate and just closes his eyes and and says, Hail Mary, and takes a swing. And he doesn't really care if he hits it or not. He's just like swinging. You are a swinger, man. Swinging all the way, all the time. You have, and and you've connected. A few times. Yeah. But you're right. I I just like swinging. Yeah. Um, Well, we all do what we're good at. And you've had a lifetime of uh, taking swings at things. And uh, and when you think about standing at bat, if you will, and this is a metaphor, um, and, and having different pitchers thrown it at you different ways, it is like all of the different lives we've all lived. And we can remember those fastballs, those curveballs, those spitballs, those foul balls, those balls that just came in and hit us upside the head and, and re, re made it the way we think. Derek has had that kind of a life of uh, several different lives and has metamorphosized into the man that we all know and love today. And <clears throat> as you can imagine, um, Going around the track the way he has, he has had to confront through the dark night of his soul several issues that we all eventually have to face. And he has, in his eloquent, wise, and mature way, answered them all. And if you asked him about the ontological questions that we all wonder about, he's got answers for it. But tonight, we do not want to go deep. We want to. We want to. We want to skate fast on thin ice and just ask each other silly questions. Do you think we can? Do you think we can really do it? I think we can be very okay. silly. Let's see how, how quickly we fall into and, the depths of the ice. Um, <laughs> well, the, yeah, the ice is thin, so we're going to have to go fast. Um, I talked to several of your friends and oh asked Lord. them to give me questions that they thought were appropriately silly for you. And so we're going to start with softball questions. And uh, are you ready? I am, but do you have to answer them as well? Uh, of course. Great. All right. um, no, you can ask me silly questions. This is going to be you and me uh, just kind of, because nobody's listening. Everybody's watching the Super Bowl. We can say anything we want to say except for the bad words, which gets that guy that calls me uh, to the FCC all the time. So we can talk bad ideas, but we can't use the bad words. You know, so this is going to be silly. Love it. Um, so the first question is, can you uh, share with us the, the most expensive meal that you've ever experienced? The most expensive meal I've ever experienced. Ironically, the most expensive meal I ever experienced, I didn't have to pay for. 
Yeah, that's the way. That's a, that's a good meal. <laughs> we were at a book signing for Lon Shire, a friend of mine, a chef in New Orleans. <clears throat> and uh, after the book signing, we went over to uh, Danielle, uh, Danielle Ballou's uh, namesake restaurant. We're having drinks at the bar. And yeah. Danielle happens to come behind the bar and see that Alon was there. And two seconds later, we were sitting up um, in the skybox overlooking the kitchen. Now, the skybox mm. connects to Daniel's personal office. So you have yeah. to walk to his office, sit in the skybox, and you look over and watch the whole kitchen do its thing. Then, of course, and it's like, you know, dignitaries and celebrities get this type of treatment. And there was about six of us, and for the whole night we drank bottles of wine that I would never yeah. allow myself. Yeah, but uh, you did. Oh, and copious amounts. Yeah. On somebody else's uh, tab. That would be dangerous. When publishing really had money. <laughs> and and the, what the great thing about that was is the meal, of course, was exceptional. Yeah. Watching that kitchen yeah. was just like it's a symphony. Yeah. It's like all like the stupid you know, tropes of whatever. Yeah. But that man, and it, I think it was actually a Sunday, Sunday or Monday, he cooked for us. He served us. He Daniel Boulay himself. Himself. Went at up, the stove, cooked for you. I am not worthy, dude. It, it was amazing to see him actually stop his evening and cut the duck. And then we got to all crush the duck together for the jus and all of this. And he, he loved it. There wasn't an ounce of um, pretense at all. Yeah. It's what he loves to do. Yeah. And, and he saw your joy. Oh, and he, I mean, how long has he been doing this? And he still, it was, it was like his first time. I felt the same way when you asked me to grill a hot dog with you. It's <laughs> <laughs> the lesson passed. Um, so how much do you think the meal was? I bet you it was probably about 2,000 a person. Yeah. And how many people were there? Six. Yeah. Um, that's an expensive that's meal. That's an expensive meal. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's hard to, well, it's really not hard, but it's, it's hard to replicate that, particularly when somebody else is paying for it. You can do it yourself easily. Um, invite a lot of people and uh, just wait to watch them uh, drop, drop their heads when the check shows up, which generally happens, doesn't it? Yes, but uh, I, I think I might have to retract that until, the, say, the most expensive meal I ever had was the, the first date I went on uh, at 18 that led to a 16-year marriage. That might have been the most expensive meal. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that uh, that. That $45 hot dog, actually, when you do the math on what you spent on, <laughs> on building, the, building the infrastructure around it, that might be the most expensive meal that you've ever had this and is ever true. will have. This is um, very actually, true. that is a category breaker. Um, good. It, it was, yeah. I mean, yeah. but that's a great memory that I hadn't thought about in a long time. Well, that's good. And, you know, the, it wasn't all that silly. Mm. Um, that was a pretty lovely thought where you get waited on by one of the namesake greats in, in yeah. culinary uh, history. When's the first time you ate caviar? Uh, it was uh, in 1982. And um, I was one of the young yonkers, if you will, in the, in the Dutch sense. A yonker is a, a, a yuppie, if you will, um, <laughs> in old school uh, New York language. And um, I was starting to make a lot of money, and I was spending all of my time at a at a bar in Soho called Raoul's, and um, 
the, the chef there was, uh, his name was Alain. So, and um, I would always go in there and I would have uh, steak frites and a lot of liquor. And I smoked cigarettes like, you know, I smoked, I just, it was a time when I would wake up in the morning and I would drink coffee and I would take a pack of Marlboro Reds and just shove them up my butt. I can't say the A word, but Mm -hmm. that was the life I had. And then I would go to work. And then at the end of work, I would go to Raul's, which was in my neighborhood. I had a loft in Soho. I was like one of the Armani suit, that kind of guy. You were that guy. Ferragamo shoes, that guy. And I would go in there, and they would have a special quart-sized glass of uh, vodka waiting for me. And and that was the beginning of the evening. And along, because I was uh, part of what he saw as his tribe. I, I loved him. I loved chefs. He brought out caviar. And, you know, this was late in life. I was like 32 years old. And um, and so, you know, I was just a little repulsed at first because I'm from Iowa. And the most exotic thing that I grew up with was maybe salt. It was never pepper, if you get <laughs> I get the drift. I grew up poor. And, and I tasted it. And... I realized that there, the door had been kicked open to a whole new way of being. Mm. And, um, and so it was not the last time. As a matter of fact, my sister's got a Russian connection, and, and every time she comes up here, she brings me a pound of uh, really nice Russian caviar oh, that I, I eat with a tablespoon. I don't mess around with, like, I don't think it's right to the do dainty delicate. pearl spoon. No, no, no. no. <laughs> um, and and the next time that happens, I want you there because well, yeah, I'm kind of hurt at the yeah, moment, but yeah, uh, we'll fix that. You, you don't look too hurt. You look kind of. I look happy. You look kind of good, <laughs> brother. Do you ever eat them with Fritos? Never. I I I, I can't understand that corn. You know what? What you know why I wouldn't eat it with Fritos? Why the breath. You would have that Frito breath oh, and wow. that fish breath, and it would completely ruin my chance of being an attractive guy. So at Royal, but maybe t- I don't care about that anymore. Yeah, I might. Yeah, you might. Well, well, next time I'm yeah. going to bring a few little nasty treats to go along with the caviar. All right. What was a trick that you used at the bar with the women at Raul's? Because we all have a trick. We all have something that we pull out of our pocket when we want to be charming. And okay, we- the next silly question that we'll both share is um, what – what our tricks were at the bar. <laughs> and, and, and not uh, name and, names, please. <laughs> um, so in my suit pocket, I always carried a little packet of Windsor Newton watercolors. It's a little metal black case, and it had eight co- primary colors in it, yep. black and white. And what I would do is I would uh, take a little piece of paper, and I would draw and paint a, a label for a wine bottle. Uh, that I would use and send then to a table of people that I wanted an introduction to. And so I was there with a bunch of my uh, my posse, right? And we would be, like, looking around the bar for where we were going to spend our evening and how we were going to spend our money. And then we would talk about, like, what sort of theme we wanted to enter that table on. And then I would draw the theme as a wine label and we would spit on it and we'd slap it on the side of a bottle and we would have Robert or Philip take it over to the table. And that was just, then we could, you know, then we were politely invited to come and join them. 
What about you? With something to talk about. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, look, do you think that I can beat that? Um, <laughs> I yes, I my- do. <laughs> 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 well, so according to what kind of bar I was in, what my trick would be. Um, uh, trick. We, we generally use uh, peacock feathers at the tickler, but tonight mm-hmm. uh, Derek asked that we have grouse feathers. So um, did you ever use feathers as a way to, like, impress the people around you in strange and unusual ways? Well, yeah. I mean, um, at Mardi Gras. <laughs> actually, it's funny that you said peacock feathers because this Mardi Gras, it's actually peacock feathers. But Whew. if you have some grouse feathers, I'll take them down with me too. I, I'll give you <clears throat> grouse feathers. But anything that uh, allows me to stand out in a crowd, mm. and feathers <laughs> usually doesn't. <laughs> that 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 that's uh, usually a, a fail-safe uh, way to to show up at a bar and let people know you're there. Other than the congenital uh, southern accent that starts clawing out of my mouth once the bourbon starts pouring. There is a certain charm about a southern man in that accent. Um, Back in the day, like in the 50s, if you moved to New York and you were a southern man and looking to do business, you might want to lose the accent because back then people thought southern people weren't like the sharpest marbles in the bag, if you will. Mm -hmm. But today... Politicians, business people, you put that southern accent on, and uh, it is just a red flag to watch out. This guy is going to say something <laughs> like, well, I'm just a cracker from the south, and I don't know nothing about nothing, uh, but what do you think about this? You know, that kind of thing where they just give you the 20 feet of rope to hang yourself with. Um, you guys are... You, you're dangerous, and, I, and I'm sure you use that to great advantage. Well, in 98, when I moved to New York City, I did this. I tried to get rid of it. That's it? I tried to speak like a British man. <laughs> did which you? Was, did you? Just to try to, because if <laughs> can not. You, can you share that uh, with no, us right I mean, now? <laughs> I just tried to say my words without them mixing together. <laughs> and, I've got a little bit of spit coming out my nose right now. I can't imagine that at all. And, and you were sincere about I was that? sincere about it, and I wanted oh, And then people would Garrett. go, oh, where are you from? And I was like, Atlanta, Georgia. They're like, oh, you're not from Europe? And I was like, no, I am not. <laughs> so it almost sounded like a damn robot. Yeah. But then when I graduated uh, uh, college in 2000, I don't know what moment hit me, but I threw on a camouflage hat and dropped the fake accent and started talking like the Southerner that I always was. Yeah. And boy, the whole world opened up to me. Yeah, just like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing when um, you, without intent, come up with a method that kicks the door open. Yeah. And, um, and you, you're one of those people that I recognize because I recognize it in myself. Otherwise, I, you know, I don't really have any perspective other than my own form of narcissism. <laughs> that when, <laughs> when you see an opportunity, you're like a lion on the Serengeti putting your claws into an antelope's ass, right? Yes. <laughs> you, you got that. You, and you, that southern accent came out. You saw the response, and you were, ah, this is my world. I'm going to eat it now. Well, I saw it. Just, it, it totally changed the, the demeanor of the person in front of me. Because back then, they still thought, you know, people from the south, not the sharpest uh, tools yeah. in the shed. Yeah. And then you turn around, and all of a sudden, I uh, got your pants off. Running them up a flagpole, and you didn't even know what's happening. Well, that disarming charm has not uh, 
forsaken you, Derek Crow. <laughs> so, which, uh, which brings me to my next silly question. What is the biggest trouble you've gotten into in a foreign country? Wow. Biggest <laughs> yeah, trouble. Yeah, I know. And, and I don't want you to, like, top three hits. I, I, <laughs> I want to hear the story that uh, really is disturbing. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, well, uh, you don't want the top three, you want the most disturbing <laughs> one. <laughs> Which could be well, something hell. you've never talked about before. <laughs> Let's just say I was in a, a former uh, Eastern Bloc country uh, producing a movie and ended up uh, in the middle of a political imbroglio where I couldn't leave the country for about three months until that political issue was resolved. Where, and it was, it was a shakedown. It was purely a shakedown. Where did they keep you for three months? They kept me in a, in a nice little place in the middle of Prague. Did it have bars? <laughs> like Not, it, the, not co- cocktails. Not bars, <laughs> like, it had a nice bourbon bar in the basement. Uh, oh, I, I, I got, got a lot of iron in my diet. Uh, the goulash was great. Did you, uh, ever, did you fear for yourself at no. any point? You just knew it was shakedown. Yeah. Well, also, you know, it was one of those things that truly I need to learn how to understand and uh, accept fear in my life. Huh. I don't fear things very. I don't. I just fear is not a big thing. Is that because you're so humble? Oh, I, I, is that a joke? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've seen your calendar. I know. That, I know that your middle name is humble. <laughs> I try, I try no, my but, best. You know, to to. to um, it's been said that when you become a man of knowledge, the first phase of becoming that person is to get over your fear because fear then distends, dis- disorients, and changes the reality of what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. And if you can see things for what they are, which fear generally uh, completely you know, messes with, then you can become go into the second phase. Um, yeah. But to get through that first phase to not fear is a huge thing. Yeah. Did you have any moments well, in your life where you were confronted with, I can either be destroyed by my fear or I can just move through it? Yeah. I mean, I think it was most, uh, most of my early childhood. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all these things that um, became overwhelming, the dynamic between, you know, father and son uh, being, you know, the Oedipus complex, all yeah. of these things that you go through. And fear, I figured out very quickly that fear is useless. Yeah. There's nothing that I can use fear for yeah. to get me out of or into where I need to be. Yeah. And so I think just early on, I just lost it as an emotion or as an option. Yeah. But also I saw people that did have a lot of fear make a lot of really bad actions based out of that fear. Yeah. And I never wanted that to be one. I mean, I did bad actions based out of bourbon, not out of fear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the um, the process of observing human nature and learning from it rather than becoming a victim of it, and instead of, well, no, there's this interesting thing where for most of people like me, you only learn the lesson by making the mistakes. Mm-hmm. But then there are people maybe like you that watch the way the world works and and get in front of making the mistakes and consequently move through life a lot quicker and more successfully. And, and, and you're only, you're still a very young man, even though um, 
you would in your calendar show yourself to be a timeless god. Uh, <laughs> we, we can only try. <laughs> you, you, you try very well. You, you, you likely did um, learn quickly and apply and to become the man you are today. Um, but, you know, I want to get to another silly question because you... I'm impressed you actually have a list of silly questions. Well, all of these people called in questions <laughs> to ask you. Um, and, I, and you can imagine who it was that asked me to ask you this question. Have you ever smelled worse than your dog? Yes. <laughs> Christy, I have There, there was, there was have no hesitation smelled, there. I have smelled worse. And his eyes and the smile came up. And you, did you enjoy the, 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 whatever it was that got you to that point? I, I found it quite intoxicating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but I thought my my my, stint, my week-long stench was quite, quite something. <laughs> well, it sounds like you worked hard mm. to get that. Um, was that a was that a trip into um, was that like part of your three months in the cage? <laughs> Is that something else? <laughs> that was one of the times. Yeah, in the cage it was probably more like three weeks. You know, there is that thing about being really stinky where. Um, you don't smell yourself, but you develop a sort of a patina, if you will, that sort of candy coating around the funky chocolate center <laughs> where the really bad smell kind of just stops. Yes. Did you notice that you were approaching that sacred moment of being so smelly that you were like no longer that smelly? Well, it, it was kind of like the, hitting that plateau <laughs> where you knew that you either – Stop there and bathed, or you just continue on yeah. to really find that perfect, yeah. perfect stench. What would be that perfect stench? Would that be a perfume that would, uh, if you could put that in aerosol format, would be sort of a testosterone funk that would just attract people near and far? Yeah, I think they could use it at casinos. Oh, yeah. Draw them in like flies. Dude. Keep them there. I, I had this idea. <laughs> I've had so many ideas, and so many of them are really bad ideas, and this is one of the worst. And we were celebrating my mother's 70th birthday in Vegas, right? And I hate Vegas. Yeah, I know you, you're a gambler. You probably love I it. love Vegas. Uh, and I'm walking down the main strip, and I'm walking by uh, Jimmy Buffett's burger joint, you know, and uh, – and all that friolator smell is coming out. And right across the street was one of maybe, I can't remember, maybe it was the Bellagio or something. But they had a little bit of grass, and they were, they were watering the grass with tertiary water. Now, for all of you that don't know what that is, tertiary water is reclaimed water from a sewage system. So there was this unbelievable mix in the air of friolator smell. Vegas friolator smell and ass smell, right, from the tertiary water. And it was Vegas. And I thought, if I could trap this scent and put it into a perfume and sell it to people that like to gamble, it would be this immediate, immediate connection to that thrill of either losing your ass or becoming the hero of your own life. And I thought... The best Pavlovian smell ever. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I really wish you would have done that because I could use some now. <laughs> yeah. it's, been, it's been a year yes. since I've been able to get in a casino, and I miss it. Yeah, well, you know, I miss the ass and the tertiary water and the and the smell yeah. of the fries. 
if uh, if if you weren't if your picture wasn't on the posters outside of every casino saying this man is not allowed in, <laughs> maybe you'd have better luck getting in. But I, I understand that you've been blocked. You count cards, you cheat, you've got devices. Uh, devices to rig up the the, the five dollar slot machines. <laughs> you, you have it's a good banned. time though. You have been banned from. Uh, Every casino that I know of, which is a, a good uh, thing, my, at least my. Did you have siblings? So. Oh, I have two younger ones. Did you mess with them when you were growing up? Did you uh, mess with their brains? Well, yeah, I used to throw Chinese stars at my youngest because she was evil, <laughs> and I think there might have been a few times that I took the BB gun and told her to run, and <laughs> snipped off a few shots at her feet. Um, <laughs> Good older brother, and she would turn around and give it right back. Oh, oh. She, she got she got her hands on a bat one time, and all you saw was Derek Jr. running from one side <laughs> of the, with this little two foot brat running with a bat. Because I knew if she got me, she wouldn't hold back. Good girl. Yeah, but then there's the middle sister, yeah. Deanna, who's the golden child. Yeah, the so, middle ones. So Thank you me. can't really screw with them because they're you know they're protected. They're protected. Yeah. They're emotional. Yeah. They're perfect. So I just screwed around and then made my youngest sister's life hell. And in return, she did the same for me. Yeah. Now, when you have Thanksgiving or get-togethers with mom and, and the sibs, do you talk about the good old days like that? Always. The, yeah. the, the, the best story is the little hellion of younger sister. Uh, during a Tupperware party for my mother, uh, she was three years old. She went and uh, took a dump in one of the Tupperware bowls and came out and set it in the middle of the party. Now, that's the story I tell that then sets off a whole cascade of, well, Derek, do you remember the time? And I'm like, well, here we go. Yeah. Uh, can I be invited to your Thanksgiving feast? <laughs> you can. I can contribute. I had I had four brothers and a sister and parents that were monsters for for a while, and then they were not monsters. Where do you fall in that in I'm the number line? Two. Number, number two. Number two, which is an interesting position in a big family. Um, now, oh, you don't want to talk about the rest of your family. <laughs> well, you know, so here's here's another question that uh, was called in to me. Um, and is I it that good, or is it just that long of a question? I just. No, I want you to think about this. What what was your favorite near-death experience? Where you felt that angel of death close by. And that, you know, and by that, it could be a potential event that didn't happen, but you felt that... There was a nearness about it. Or it could be that you really did fall off a cliff, um, that kind of thing. But I think all of us in one form or another um, get pinched in our mortality by being up against experiences where we not just metaphorically but physically feel that inevitable creature on our shoulder. Um, Wow. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's generally terrifying and dark, and um, and generally when those things happen, time expands, um, your perception of things stretch out, um, 
because you're processing information very quickly. Um, and it can be both a physical moment or it can be an existential moment. But um, we've all had them. And, um, I feel like I might have had like four or five. Yeah. But there's something in my brain that's like blocking yeah. my access to them. Yeah, interesting. And I feel like there's a big one yeah. that I'm just not allowing myself to to grab a hold of. That's an honest response. To and it feels question. like it was in my teenage years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I have a funny one that was real. Yeah. I don't know if you even care to hear that or you just want me to talk about how no, I like I've forgotten story. all of my big moments. They've come I, into a blur. I, I, I like the I like the stories of you were given a cigar that had an M80 in it and it blew up in your face. I love those <laughs> silly stories of near death, which I'm sure you have several of. <laughs> and everybody's laughing. <laughs> it was opening weekend of the Andy's hotel. Uh-huh. It was, it was Sunday. Everybody sit down, please. For the <laughs> and we were busier than hell. Everybody showed up. It was awesome. Yeah. Sunday morning, I woke up and I was like, Hmm, I'm having a heart attack. Oh dear. Just off the cuff. As soon as I woke up, <sighs> tightness in the chest. I was like, well, I gotta, I gotta get to work. Which also is a weird thing about this whole work ethic that was pounded in my head. Yeah. Um, so went, spent the whole Sunday, got to about, say, five thirty six o'clock. Throughout the whole day, it kept getting tighter and tighter. And I was like, damn it, here we are, opening weekend, and I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> At 46 years old, I, I've made are. it through <laughs> all these different things in my life. Uh, and opening of a restaurant and hotel is what's going to kill me? Yeah. All, a bunch of my friends showed up. At around six o'clock, and it was at that point that I was like, "Oh my gosh, I have to go to the emergency room now." Yeah. But I calmly went up to each table, checked on them, invited them to have whatever. So three or four different tables, and then one of my friends was like, "Oh, can I talk to you for a second? And I was like, "Of course." I'm only having a heart attack, but. I don't want you to feel slighted <laughs> by me. So for five minutes while standing at my car, we had a conversation. I got in my car and drove myself uh, to the Delhi uh, yeah, emergency room. Went in and I said, I think I'm having a heart attack. You know, everything yeah. blows up. They come yeah. and grab me, strap me down. Yeah. Um, I've been there twice on heart attacks, so I know I mean, they're so good. They're, it was amazing. I mean, they, that I, ER at O'Connor there in Delhi is an amazing heart attack place. <laughs> Go there. Good. I mean, even if you're not Highly recommended. Heart, if you feel lonely and if you feel like people aren't paying attention to you, Go in there and say you're having a heart attack. You will be so loved up. <laughs> it, 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 it's it, it's kind of one of those like fun Sunday games. <laughs> anyway, when they go through everything, they test everything. Um, uh, you know, of course, they ask you how much you drink and all this stuff. And um, and I was such a people pleaser as a child, and maybe so much so now that they give you this pill under your tongue every like ten minutes, and hoping the pain will go away. Well, the pain didn't go away, but I kept telling the nurse, I was like, oh, my gosh, whatever you did, that really worked. I'm feeling better. She gave me another one. I was like, 
to myself, I was like, I'm still having a heart attack. But no, darling, you, whatever job you're doing to me, you're doing it amazing, and I'm feeling better. She goes, Mr. Curl, that's the wrong answer because that means you're really having a heart attack. Oh. Because it's supposed to loosen up the blood vessels and you feel better because the heart's restricted or whatever. And I was like, and I looked at her and I said, I'm sorry, I still feel really bad. <laughs> the doctor comes in and goes, you You're not having a heart attack, but can we talk about your liver? Shut <laughs> 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 on. Anyway, um. but the whole time that driving, it was the longest drive to Delhi. And I really thought, okay, this is how I'm going to die. This yeah. is how, and how embarrassing. And also, I would never have the, the ambulance come pick me up because then everybody would know. Yeah. And what it was is I was lifting up the heaters, and I hadn't done any strenuous exercise, and I had torn the muscle that attaches right at the rib cage. So there's that. Dun, dun, dun. Bottom line, I need to stop drinking so much bourbon. Well, you know, all of us, if we live a real life, a real dirty life, um, and as a farmer, I live a really dirty life. Um, suffer through the loss of unintended consequences, mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. uh, that that whole thing of um, of perception and apperception, where you think something is real but it's not, and you're convinced in the way that all of us love a good conspiracy theory that you're having, if you will, a heart attack, but you're really just uh, suffering from a sprained muscle. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you for sharing that with us. <laughs> Um, well, I'm just glad we've shared the same ER. <laughs> That's kind of cool. I, uh, I love that ER. I've, I've been in there a number of times thinking I was dying. And, um, I, I've, it's very good for the hospital because they charge the card a lot for that. Oh, yeah. Thing. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so here's another call-in question. <laughs> These callers, good Lord. Um what is the most dramatic accident that you were involved with? Most dramatic accident I was involved with. You can pass on these because I've got other really good ones. Let's pass on that one because I, 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 I'll swing back around on what? that one. Okay, I love this one, and we can share this one. Yay. What is your oddest drug experience? Wow. Um, uh, with GHB, I think that's what they call it. I've never heard of that. It's, Explain. It's, uh, I think it's, I mean, it was put into um, a drink Hot of mine. <laughs> it's kind of like, but the, you're not allowed to drink alcohol with it. Okay. And okay. so I was in a group of people that were doing it, but of course I drink alcohol. And so... I was, excuse me, I was given it, and it was the wildest feeling of euphoria. And then, you know what? That's what I was, death. Yeah. You know how close I got to death? I wrote my mother's phone number with a Sharpie on the bottom of my foot so that then when they can get my body, they knew who to call. You know, that that's a great idea, but you know what I really admire about you? What? Is you were able to bend yourself over that monster <laughs> right on the bottom of your I foot. I was younger than that. That is, that is quite amazing. <laughs> you surprised me in so many ways. <laughs> I, I don't I just, Well, that, I got boy. two questions in the one, the drug experience and the near death. So, 
This drug, there was the euphoria, and then there was that sense that it was just going to take you into it was, a it was place. Take you to, I was going to be taken away. Yeah. And it was, it was like not going to be an abrupt thing. It was just going to be floating on down the river. So if the rapture happened, would you be left on earth wondering where everybody went, or would you be up there in that beam of light? Oh, no, I'd be in the beam of light saying this way. Yeah, bringing, bringing all the ne'er-do-wells along. Hopefully. Yeah. Even though probably they'd, just for fun they would leave me down on earth. For a while. Yeah, just yeah. to make me see what, what the other side yeah. is. Yeah, just to, just to take joy in a, uh, the other people's suffering. <laughs> <laughs> What's your wildest drug experience? The the oddest one or like oddest yeah let's do odd yeah so <clears throat> I was a young man and I had a friend down in uh, Missouri which was where my dad came from and I would summer down there and we grew up we grew up to be teenagers we survived ourselves his name was Buster won't drop his last name and he was growing weed. This is back in the 70s. He was growing weed down in the Ozark National Forest, and it was a drought summer. And he pulled a bunch of us together to, to go down and water his weed. And we go down there, and we, we walk off into the middle of nowhere. Ozarks are, if, they say if you squashed the Ozarks down, the place would be bigger than Texas. It's all just up and down and yep. weird. Um, <clears throat> so... With all that up and down, there are these little streams and crooks that run through everything. And with the drought, they were running out, right? And everything that was alive in the crick was ending up in these little pools. And we, we went into the place where he had his weed patch, and there was a little pool. And uh, around this pool, the trees had grown up and canopied over it so that at noon, was a beam of light would come down through that opening, that circular opening right there in that canopy, and it would hit this pool. And it would and it was so intense it would light it up like a crystal. It was almost a religious kind of beauty. So <clears throat> we're down there and we've got it's me and Buster and two guys I can't remember, but the other guy, his name was Red. And he had just come back from Vietnam, and he was a mess, okay? We called him Red because he had an afro of red hair, <laughs> right? It was huge. And he was skinny as old Jesus. And he was that way because he was a, a speed addict, right? Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and we loved him. He was, uh, he was the sort of person that you just took care of, and you felt good about taking care of somebody that needed to be taken care oh, of. Of right? And uh, so the water ran out, and the last place in our little planet was this pool of water. And as you can imagine, everything that was alive in that creek flowed down into this pool. So it was full of little minnows and fish. And, uh, and then around the edge of this big pool was a ring that looked like a black scarf, but it moved. And it wasn't, wasn't anything other than maybe a million water spiders. Right. And if a bug hit that water. Now, if you've ever watched uh, in the David Attenborough way how uh, a water spider sits on the water and feels vibration, you know, a bug, mm -hmm. bug lands, it feels those special vibrations. It knows, well, it's not a fish jumping, it's a meal. I'm going to run up there and I'm going to get it. So we would sit there in our various drug-infused 
ways and we would watch this surface and we would watch these thousands upon thousands of hungry water bugs dance over to these bugs that were unfortunate enough to get that attention, <laughs> if you know what I mean. I do. So if you're with me, um, imagine this, that Red, who was a speed addict, and needed his uh, speed uh, several times a day. Buster, who took care of him, one day at noon, <clears throat> walked him out into the middle of this pool. And Red, at that point, all he had on was a, a rag around his loins. He looked like, again, old Jesus. And as he stood there, and the, and the sun came up over that hole in the sky and came down on him, it lit him up, and it lit the pool up. Oh and uh, Buster tied him up and shot him up with a, with a syringe of speed and then, then untied un, his arm, and that speed got into him, and he, and he stood there. And he vibrated in a harmonic that was incredible. And off of his skinny little calves came this, this vibration out to all those water spiders. And these million water spiders came up around him. And they didn't attack him or anything. They just, they had never felt speed before. <laughs> and they, they danced in the light of red. And we sat there and we looked at each other and we said, we are really not seeing what we're seeing, are we? And we saw it. And, and for a period of time, we realized that, you know, there are things on this planet that, that languages, because they were picking up a language, mm -hmm. these water bugs were mm -hmm. picking up a language, um, that we'll never understand. But all we can do is sit back and wonder and appreciate them. And so, I, you know, I've had so many odd drug experiences where I've, most of them where I've witnessed behavior rather than, because mm -hmm. I've never been a, been a big druggie. Because yeah. um, when I did drugs, I did it seriously and almost killed myself several times, and I decided never again. Um, but a reasonable deduction. Yeah. Um, no fool this man. Um, how, how did George Bush say it? Fool me once, I'm a fool. Fool me twice, I'm a fool. <laughs> and on and on and on and on. And on, and on. on. <laughs> I, I'm very much George Bush when it comes to that kind of like wisdom. <laughs> but um, so that that was an odd drug experience. Um, the vibrations of speed. When you were a, a kid, mm -hmm. did you realize that the world is not a normal place? That it was not a normal place. Not, not a Nazi Harriet, you know, leave it to be. Well, I realized that my personal uh, was not a normal place, but I purported to the world and to everyone that was around me that it was a perfect place and that there was nothing wrong here. So please don't look. Oh. Yeah. So I knew it was not a normal place, but I wanted desperately for it to be a perfect place. Yeah. And so I just willed it into being in yeah. my head yeah, yeah. to where um, that's how I went out into the world. Yeah. My family's perfect. My existence is perfect. My world yeah. is not weird or screwed up or upside down or sideways sliding down a hill at 95 miles an hour towards a brick wall. <laughs> We ate supper at 6.30. 
We woke up and everyone showered and combed each other's hair to the, uh, with a perfect part. And we all sat in the back seat with our, our seat belts on and uh, sang church hymns on the way to on Sunday. Yeah. So it wasn't really the truth, but that's no. what I wanted and purported it to be. And so uh, <laughs> it's not an uncommon uh, experience uh, to be living a lie, if you will, and wanting it to be something other until you find out who you are. But um, there's that transition where you come up with this kind of phrase in your head that in spite of evidence to the contrary, I'm going to continue to try to see things in a in a way that everybody else wants me to see them. Okay. In spite of evidence to the contrary, I'm going to continue to keep a path that's really not true to myself or, or the realities that I see the world in. And then there are these, um, I think the psychologists call it breakthrough moments, where the weight of caring, the weight of caring that subterfuge it's not getting you anywhere, and it's and it's crushing, and and you just you sloth it off, or you have a breakdown, or whatever else. But you come out of the other end, kind of walking through that refiner's fire, pure. Um, did, and all of us have had these experiences, and and they're cathartic. They mm-hmm. really are. Yeah. And sometimes they happen when you're young, and sometimes it takes a while. Um, when did it happen for you? I think it was uh, three different experiences. Once when I got to New York City and I left all of that, all the familiar family, everything, and showed up in New York City, having to reinvent a new uh, narrative, of course, um, because the old one didn't work anymore. Um, But then I was like, I felt a little bit more comfortable being like, hey, I get to be whatever screwed up version of me <laughs> and it's great and it's yeah. a conversation piece yeah. and I think uh, when I had um, after my first film that I produced I was like well I'm not I'm, I'm actually okay. I'm actually okay I'm actually not having to pretend anymore yeah. I'm actually doing something as, an, as a pseudo adult that I can recognize as being good. And it was me. And it wasn't any pretend. And it wasn't anything fabricated. Uh, and that felt good. Yeah. And then moving up to the Catskills, I think, was the final one where I just said, this is what I want. This is what I look like. And this is how yeah. um, I've, I've grown up to be. Yeah. And so hopefully I can just let that yeah. ha- hang out. Yeah. I'm not going to use cuss words, but you know. Yeah. Let your honey hang out, and right. it's all good. Yeah. And what happened once I did that, everything started coming relationship-wise, coming alive yeah. and being really uh, fruitful and fun and generous and responsive. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, saying- we're all still making our own narrative up. Um, you know, I, I tell everybody that I own a, a, a motel restaurant in the Catskills. Yeah. Well, that's not true. <laughs> well, the bank owns it, maybe. Um, but as you, as you preached through that um, 
sort of evolution towards becoming honest to yourself. And I kept saying, yes, yes, yes. I I felt like I was in the pews listening to a preacher talk about coming to terms with what's right. And you have that because I think most of the people that know you and and know you well and and, and you're easy to get to know well um, love you because you are comfortable in your own skin. Mm. And, and that is something that I think all of us in our lives are on the path to be. And, um, and it is um, an interesting journey, if you will, of being honest with what it is that is a f- what fails and what succeeds. And um, w- what comes out of it is empathy. Mm-hmm. And you're an empathetic guy. You, and that's why you, you mess your life up so much, because you want to try to embrace everybody. Yes. <laughs> and, and the hotel. is really it's really that it's your it's your stupid attempt at empathy to love everybody and the consequences i got to tell you are just horrifying horrifying <laughs> but, but, um, you know everybody everybody appreciates it and maybe that's the reward for the suffering is that um you do our work for us um and that may be the definition of what leadership is. Um, and that might be the sacrifice and the suffering of it all. Um, and we do it without really understanding that that's what we're doing. We do it because it's part of a, it's a bone that God put in us. Um, but Amen seem, to that. You seem to do that without um, wondering why you're doing it, which, you know, on one hand, you can look at it and say, well, that's an idiot child. And the other hand, you could say, well, that's, a, that's kind of a Mother Teresa guy. He's going to. It's going to be end up in the Vatican sometime. I oh, that would be fun. That. But or maybe get, there's going to be a statue get. made out of you, out of butter, right? <laughs> out of uh, out of unsalted, uh, no, salted, cultured, uncultured, room temperature, room temperature <laughs> butter. <laughs> Eric Curl, right? the man and the measure. Come in with your come in with your butter fork and put it on the bread. <laughs> Choose your bread wisely. Uh, um, Wow, we we did it. It goes too fast. It's way too fast. It's, it just, it just, I mean, I was wanting to throw you a curveball, but now it's the end, and I can't even do that. Well, go ahead, throw me a curveball. What do you think about the notion that I've been batting around that you have one chance in any instance or situation to show who you really are? It's very theatrical. Um, that's <laughs> number one. Um, when it works, it is, you know, it, when it works in those moments, um, it's spectacular and, and you are seen as a small, soft God. When it doesn't, you're just like everybody else. Um, uh, the idea is the weight on your shoulders mm. that, that you choose to see moments like that. And to try to become your best person, if you will, um, in those things. And and what's required, the tools that are required for um, being that person in that moment, is it's so simple. It's just being aware, um, aware of what's going on with the shape of your heart um, as your guide. And um, then you can 
I think then you can always have a voice and you can always, in that awareness, is a form of prayer, if you will, um, be able to do the right thing. Um, and, and that means that, you know, to be, the, to be the best person in that moment means that you're true to yourself. And, um, and it's not hard to do. Um, it's hard for people that are watching you to understand that you are being true to yourself because sometimes um, it's quiet. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it's a, I think all of us spend our lives trying to grow our soul, if you will, to become that person that can just, without fear, okay, um, look at things and understand, you know, what is needed for it to be the greatest good and uh, and to try to operate accordingly. That's my answer to that shit. Mm. Oops. Said a bad word. How about saying, well, I was going to say. I was getting kind of preachy there. But it, uh, it definitely lulled me into uh, the What do you think? You know, we're, hey, everybody out there, we're running a little bit over, but it's okay because I, all I'm going to do is hit a button and you're going to hear three hours of, of uh, music because uh, Stan, Captain Trips is not here tonight. Uh -huh. So we can go on a little bit. Um, if, can you go on a little yeah, bit? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit the seg and we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about this uh, curveball. WIOX is supported by Pika Moose Restaurant on State Route 28 in Big Indian with farm-to-table cuisine Thursday through Monday. Indoor dining at a safe distance from 4 to 9 p.m. And patio-heated outdoor dining on the moonlit deck. Take out till 10. Picamoose.com or 845-254-6500. 845-254-6500. WIOX is supported by... The Slider Agency on Main Street in Margaretville, a neighborhood independent insurance agency educating consumers about monitored home security systems and about coverage options. Open Monday through Friday, 830 till 5. More information at 845-586-2641 or slideragency.com. WIOX is supported by the Delaware County Chamber of Commerce, a catalyst for sustainable economic prosperity in the Catskills, fostering cooperation, forging partnerships, promoting tourism, providing legislative advocacy, and building strong community ties throughout the region. More information at 607-746-2281 or DelawareCounty.org. Hi, this is Andy Cahill, host of the Andy Cahill Show, Saturday from noon till 2 on WIOX Roxbury, serving New York's Catskill region at 91.3 FM, WIOXradio.org, and MTC Cable Channel 20. Okay, so good people, we're back a little bit. And, and we're, we're back. Uh, Derek, pose the question again. What do you think about the notion that in any moment or instance or situation that you have one chance to show who you are or prove who you are? And and that's, so take a swing at answering your own question there. Well, I started out being very um, strongly that you have one chance. It started when the lockdown happened, so in March. That's um, 
with all this going on, we all have one chance to show how we're going to react and how, who we are in this moment of a global, the start of a global pandemic. Um, and I was putting this out to a lot of friends who did not like the statement I was making. Um, cause you know, there was, are you going to wear a mask? Or are you not going to wear a mask? Are you going to hide? Or are you going to live? Are you going to, um, what are you going to do? And what am I supposed to extrapolate from those actions to place who you are on that action? Are you going to be a giver or a taker? Are you going to be, um, belittled or, or, uh, strengthened? I was, it's kind of like a, a boxing everybody in type question, which there's something that I like about that. There's something that I like that people react kind of like, uh, being offended by me saying, you have one chance to show who you are. Who are you? What are you going to do? What are your actions going to be during this time? Are you going to overeat, over smoke, over drink? Are you going to overgive, give, or take? Like all of these things that um, once you started becoming isolated and not around other people, what are you going to do? And I forced it on myself. And so every action that I, that I was taking, I had to think about that I was showing people who I am based on the actions that I'm doing during this pandemic. It's kind of harsh, but it, for me, it, 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 it worked to keep things um, in perspective, but also um, out there to look at. So that is the church of, of Derek, and I, and I don't mean to be silly or presumptuous about it, but it works this way. Um, what we believe uh, is a direct line. It, it's directly correlated to how we act, and then how we act uh, determines, not determines, but really makes results. And when we look at what we want the world to be, it starts with what we believe, which is the question that Derek put on the table. And all of us, at any point in our life, be it our job, our family, our, our religion, our politics, should be asking that question of uh, what, how will we be when we want to be a positive agent of change in a moment when leadership or um, when somebody stands up and witnesses strongly what they believe in shows the world a path in a way. Um, and it is, it is our obligation as people on this mysterious path to find that in ourselves. And it takes courage because you really do put in the skin, you put skin in the game one way or another. It, you can, you can, in the, in the most, crude and basic way you have to put um, as Derek did a lot of capital into it but more than that it was driven by a belief and that starts everything because once once you are true to that you will find those people that will follow and in a crude way you know it's all of us that go to the Andes Hotel and celebrate a place that in this darkness is it's really a reminder of how we as people need to connect. Um,
But all of you that didn't buy a hotel and could have bought a big boat. <laughs> um, Should have bought a boat. Think about it. Think about um, where you succeeded and where you failed and where in the next test you might change your ways. Um, there, there's this beautiful thing about our lives that as we, it's chaotic, we stumble through it, um, the withering nonsense that goes on around us. Um, the only true guiding light and, and force is, again, what, what we believe in, and, and that makes us our best person. Um, and we, as we grow, learn from our mistakes. And, 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 and I think because of, again, if, there, if God gave us one gift, it is to quietly look into ourselves and feel in our heart whether it's right or wrong. It's that simple. It's on or off. It's dark or it's light. And and if you look that way and if you say, I don't want to hurt people, I want to help people, um, and and you feel that in your body, and it's not something that goes on in your brain, um, it will guide you. And um, this time that we've had since March when, when Derek started to ask himself those questions, um, is something that all of us, I think, if there's a backhanded compliment to this pandemic, uh, have either formed the question to or have lived through in an, in an unspoken way. And it's, it's worth considering deeply because this, we, we need and are, by the nature of things, always, uh, Stress tested. And the options that we have and the way we explore them and the choices we make, um, they're not just ours. Uh, the people that we love and the people that look to us um, look look to us and they learn. And that's, that's what being a, a father, a mother, a teacher, uh, a preacher, a good, a good politician, that's what they are obligated to do, and uh, and it's our job, because uh, the job hasn't been well done. There haven't been a lot of people that have been stepping up that yep. way, yep. and uh, it's um, yeah. That's all I have to say about that. I love that, but it's uh, you love that because uh, it's it's a simple truth, and, and you know it. You practice what you preach. Um, talking that thing through, I, I feel like, in my way, I, I haven't, because um, I've just, in this period of time, uh, taken care of myself <laughs> and not worked as hard, because <laughs> there haven't been, I haven't had to feed that many people around my dinner table, which I dearly miss. I miss the dinner parties yes. so much. Yes. Oh my gosh, I, I miss having you and all of the wonderful, yes. strange, lovely people we have yes. here at the table. And you did that. You brought the table back. And you know something? I go to your hotel, and, and, and that celebration is so candescent and, and so real because it's been so missed. And, and the touchstone that you have brought to us and remind us of that brings us back to all the good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really remarkable that you saw that as an opportunity to remind people in the pandemic darkness uh, to keep the faith and remind myself
But I'm just I'm, I'm worried about all those freaks that we used to eat dinner with every week. <laughs> what are they doing all alone? <laughs> I mean, how are they going to look and feel when they come out of hiding? <laughs> I can't I wait. Just... <laughs> I can't wait to see what kind of freaks they've turned into. I mean, <laughs> or, or they come back so straight laced we don't even want to have dinner with them anymore. Yeah, it could be. It. I am. You know, you know my wife, and she is. Yes. She's changing. Um, she does. She hasn't grown up loving dinner parties, but she's starting to appreciate the fact that sitting there and witnessing what goes on with a bunch of people around good food and good booze, uh-huh. and and people that will carry a conversational rabbit right down the table <laughs> at eight thousand miles an hour is something to behold. It and is. I really I, that is uh, something I can't wait to see come back, and. And, you know, in this time, I'm redesigning our entire footprint. The, a huge deck is coming out, and I think we're going to have this. At inter- the house? Yeah, and big. And for entertainment with the cooking and the, you know, the southern exposure and the beautiful views. Yes. And, uh, an indoor pool for the people that want to, like, do that kind of thing. And Oh, wow, you really fell into that pandemic house renovation yeah. oh, BS. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Very nice. Right. Very nice. Because what we believe <laughs> determines how we act, which ends up in the results that we want the world to see. You have one chance to show us who you are, and you get a pool. So when everybody's gotten their shots, okay, and when, when this thing is over and we spend the next – you know, third phase of our life trying to process what happened. And and it gets down to this, that we just want to hang out and have fun. Yeah. Um, yes. what, what I'm doing is trying to continue, and Christy and I are trying to continue building a platform, as you have with the hotel, for that sort of thing to happen. Uh, you can never go wrong with having a platform for people to get together. You can, you know. Um, so this... The show has really just been a subterfuge to get you to invite us to your dinner parties. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> That's the whole thing. We, All we it, want was a long, we, it was a long con. When this thing is over, yeah, it's been a long con. Um, we, we want to be at your table, and we want you at our table. Yes. Um, that. So uh, we've, we've gone on. I'm sure all of you uh, are back into the Super Bowl. Uh, and uh, Captain Trips is not here, and what I'm going to do is punch a button, and I hope it works, where uh, three hours of jazz or classical or something begins to happen. And while you listen to that, um, and uh, I want to I give you a, a bit of homework. Um, keep your... Keep your eyes and your ear open for being your best person and not doing the easy wrong but doing the hard right and, 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 and making yourself and through that as people see you um, the world a, a better place. That's, I think, the way it, it works uh, in my understanding of it all. And uh, and and we've, you've got three hours now of jazz coming up, and the the dot on the computer is spinning. And when it stops spinning, hopefully, I will I will leave here with Derek and leave you 
in your ears in the, in the good grace of WIOX uh, playing jazz for three hours. It keeps spinning. What are we? What are we? Well, gonna I do? feel like we're spinning. So <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Send us cards and letters. Uh, we would love your love notes. Yeah, I don't think we did anything that will get the FCC. Uh, I don't think. 